0: We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 today, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. All right, so we're moving to the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, all right? The, the reality is, is that it's all flowing from one into the other. So what we're going to see in this particular chapter is the character of God or the character that God would have us to have in response to the things that we've already heard, all right? And so as we move into this particular uh, portion of the Sermon on the Mount, it is talking about living to a higher standard. And so we're calling this the high life. So in Matthew chapter s- uh, 7, we're going to be looking at... Uh, All the different aspects of what it truly means to live the high life. The standard that God would have us live. So the first thing he's going to talk about to us is about measuring up. How many of you have ever disappointed your parents? Anybody in here ever disappointed your parents? All right. Why is that? Why did you disappoint your parents? You disappointed your parents because they had an expectation of how you should act or respond or live, and in some way, shape, form, or fashion, we did not live up to that. We broke that. Okay, that is sin. Okay, sin happens in all of our lives, not so much in relationship to the expectations that our parents have. That could have been unreal expectations for us. Like tomorrow's mom and dad thought they'd marry somebody better. You know what I mean? You know, and it just didn't. Happened. I mean, they, they got what they got, right? They got to live with it. So you got you to gotta measure up to the standards. And sometimes those are standards that our parents put that are unreal expectations. God's expectations for us are holy expectations, expectations for us to live according to his word. His word is truth. So there is no out for us on that. If God's word is truth and we break those expectations, that is sin. So that's how I'm talking the difference there. God's expectations for us his standards are his holy standards when we break that that is sin so in every way shape form or fashion in our life at some point in time we're going to break god's standards so the the reality is is that we're all in the same boat but that does not negate nor does it relinquish the fact that we should all be striving to measure up to what god says now here's where we are today culturally we tr- We can't live up to those, so we just want to remove them. So we don't want any standards placed on us culturally because we know that we want to be able to live however we want to live. So we don't want anybody calling us out for doing something that's wrong. And so when you have like the Ten Commandments, no one wants them around because no one wants that moral expectation or that social expectation that you have to live. Nobody wants you talking about God or Jesus out in the workplace or anywhere because why? That sets a standard that we have to live by and we don't want to do that anymore. We don't want to have that expectation on us. We just want to be able to do whatever we want to. That's what happens in an individualistic society. We're talking about in Sunday school class together today uh, is that there is nothing that unites us anymore. There's nothing that, you, we don't have, a national anthem can't unite us anymore. In God we trust can't unite us anymore. You know, all the different things that we have that we put on as monikers or, or things to look forward to culturally or as a group or as a nation, none of that holds together for us anymore because we all want to live individually. And because we all want to live individually doing what we want, when we want, how we want, then if we just remove those expectations, then there's no, we don't don't have any guilt. We don't have any uh, shame for what we're doing that is wrong. And nor do we feel any, um, we don't feel bad. We all just want to feel good, right? We all just want to love life, have a good time, and then live it like we want to live it, and then just go on. Well, the truth for us, the reality for us, is if we don't live by the standards that God sets, if we don't have a relationship with him through his son, then what lies before us is much worse than what we deal with now. Much worse. Infinitely worse. But we're not even allowed to talk about that either. Because no one even believes in hell anymore, right? It's just a fallacy. That's not something that, we, that that is a place for someone who's separated from God. So, guys, we have to learn how to measure up. Now, here's the big thing. When we look at this, it's not our measurements that matter. Because the first thing he says is, do not judge so that you will not be judged. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. See, we have spiritual discrimination. When we begin to practice our self-righteousness, when we begin to put our expectations at the level or above God's, or we add to God's expectations. Now, I mentioned something earlier that you and I have all broken our parents' heart at some point in time. Now, when we broke our parents' heart or when we broke our parents' rules, was that a rule all the time that was based off of Scripture, or was that just mama and daddy's personal rules, all right? A lot of times it was mom and dad's personal rules that we had. They were personal expectations that someone else has for us. And when we break those, what happens is is that that person, more often than not, judges us. So when someone in the church breaks, breaks our expectations, judgment is cast. What happens when judgment is cast between congregants in the church? You can speak back to me. What happens? It breaks fellowship. That is exactly right. And so when we have personal expectations of how someone should respond, okay, Uh, let me give you this one. And I try to do this, I really do try to do this. All right? But. If you come to church thinking that you're going to get a handshake from the preacher every every single Sunday, you're going to be disappointed at some point in time. But if I miss you in some way, shape, form, or fashion on a Sunday morning and don't have a personal conversation with you, then I have broken your expectation for that day. You can get mad at me and you can say that I'm not a nice person. And that, that may be true, you know. My kids can probably, but yeah, I'm not really all the time, am I? Yeah. All right. Here, here's, here's what I want you to think about this, though. If we grow as we grow, how in the world can I ever speak to everyone individually every Sunday? There's no way that that can happen, right? So as the congregation grows and the number of people grow and the responsibilities grow on Sunday morning of different things that I have to do and be responsible, it's hard. It it gets harder for me. And then what happens? I begin to fail you. And now because we're bigger and there's more people, I don't get the attention that I got before. So what happens when that happens? I'm sorry. You get feelings hurt and you can either stay and have your feelings hurt or what? And this is a revolving door in, in smaller churches like this of, of, of sometimes why things happen is because people get their feelings hurt, all right? Judgment is cast whether we're calling it judgment or not because expectations that we set were not met. These are our personal, this is our personal expectations. This is our self-righteousness. This is what happens When judgment begins to be cast upon each other, there's spiritual discrimination. I'm going to give you also um, uh, a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18 is my example. He tells a parable or a story. And he he said to some people who trusted themselves that they were righteous. They had an expectation of what they thought was righteous. They tried to live by that moniker. That doesn't mean that all of it was holy. They just practiced a bunch of things that they said were holy. They had added to they had added to scripture things that they thought made them righteous and they followed that practice. All right? Doesn't mean that that was viewed by God as something that was holy. They were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. First off, the Pharisee, let's just just take this from their positions. The Pharisee is someone who is a, a, a learned religious person. In other words, they weren't just not only a religious person, they were one who studied to become a more religious person, meaning they were trying to be either teachers or leaders are, are influencers within, uh, well, Judaism as a whole. So that's what the Pharisees were. Now, who were the tax collectors? The tax collectors were Jewish people who collected taxes from their fellow Jews to give to who? The Romans. So they were what? They were turncoats, man. They were They were collecting taxes from their own people to give to their enemy. And that's the way that the public viewed them. So they were horrible people in the eyes of their fellow man, just because of the positions that they held. So one is looked at as a highly regarded religious person within the community. And another is looked at as what? Someone that they would rather be an outcast. Religious. This is important for us to note as we continue to look. All right, Continuing on in Matthew chapter 7, looking at verse 2, it says, For the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So when we have personal expectations and we project those standards to other people, we're going to be held accountable by those. Wow, that's scary, isn't it? Have you ever condemned someone for something they, they, that they did only to have yourself do that later and be condemned by someone else? That's not fun, is it? It's not fun to point your finger at somebody else and cast judgment upon them only to in turn have yourself do it. I'm going to give you a, a, this is a... This is a true story. This is a small thing. Okay, small thing. But in, but in our life... I bet you my wife has lost her keys like 14,000 times, okay? And so over the course of our marriage, she has lost her keys a ton. Well, on one particular day, she lost her keys, and I was in Athens, and she was in Tucker. Now, I had stuff going on, but she had to be at certain appointments by certain times, right? So she had gone into lunch somewhere and locked her keys inside the car in Tucker, and I was over in Athens. So guess what happened? My whole day got dropped. And I had to drive immediately to Tucker to let her out. No, this no own star. This is back in the day, all right? This is back in the day before someone could, you know, pop something and you could call somebody and they could unlock your car for you. So I drive all the way to Tucker and I use the clicker that I have and we unlock the door. And I'm like, baby, you have got to, you have got to figure this out. I don't know what we're going to do. We have to get an extra key. We got to put it in the well up there. Something's got to happen. This just cannot keep happening. Within the week, guess what I did? Lot my keys in my never I don't ever lock my keys in my vehicle all right but within the week of you know basically verbally thrashing my wife over her failings I did the exact same thing the exact same thing so guess what happened when I went home that night right So I go home that night. No, she did not respond the way that you think that she would respond. She did not come back at me and say, this is the very thing that you get on to me about and you go do it. She didn't do any of that. She she basically said, now you know how it feels. Now you know how it feels. Didn't feel good. Didn't feel good at all. But scripture says this is what happens to us. When we go out and we start putting our personal expectations on other people, they fail us, we judge them, then it says that that measure is going to be measured back to us. So if we offer no mercy and compassion to other people, if we offer no kindness, if we don't show some sort of compassion towards other people, don't expect that you're ever going to receive that back when the same thing happens to you. So you and I should not have these personal expectations that we put on it. We should have scriptural expectations, every single one of us, because those are whose standards? God's standards, not ours. So our job is not to judge. Our job is to follow the measures and standards that God has given for us and admonish, encourage, and in some cases, people do disqualify themselves from certain servings and leadings and stuff like that by the sins that they have, but put we, we restore them. We don't kick them out of church. We, re, we bring about a process of restoration for them to make themselves whole. Getting back to the Luke 18, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. So here, what has this Pharisee done? This Pharisee has gone in and instead of praying for his own sins, he looked around at everybody else and started going, God, I thank you that I'm not like all of these heathens. And especially this guy right here. Especially this tax collector. <clears throat> When I was young and learning what it meant to be a good husband, I would constantly go, but you know what? I'm not as bad as such and such. It was friends of ours, and I knew that they were bad. You know what I'm saying? I knew that they did things that were wrong, and I would go, hey, you know, honey, I know that I'm not perfect, but guess what? I'm not like these folks over here. I mean, they're wretched. (laughs) They're horrible. Why do we do that? We're not in competition, are we? At all. My relationship with my wife had no effect by the how poor of a husband the other person was. My relationship with my wife is based on my relationship with God. That's what scripture says to me. But I take my eye off the prize because I think I'm better than a bunch of other people and a much better husband than a bunch of other people. So I would go and use them so I could make myself look good. That's the same thing that this Pharisee is doing. This Pharisee is in church, looking around at everybody else. What if we came to church every Sunday and go, man, I know I'm who? At least I'm not Vic Hall. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, that's, right, that's right. He's over in the corner over there. Ain't no telling what he's done. You know. So listen, we can't come to church like that. But but does that happen? It does happen. Especially when someone within our fellowship falters and it's a public type thing that people know about, instead of bringing about an act of restoration, what do we do? We start pointing fingers. And we start pointing fingers and thinking that we're better than someone else because of we ain't got that sin. What happens is, invariably, there's discord within the congregation and somebody leaves. Somebody leaves. A lot of times, it's the pastor. He doesn't want to handle the fallout. Other times, it's the person that's finger is being pointed at. The fingers are being pointed. Sometimes, it's the finger pointer because they think, you know what? That church ain't holy enough for me. If they ain't going to call them out, they ain't going to call out somebody else. All of this is wrong. This is spiritual discrimination and a practice of self-righteousness when we look at each other and think that we're better than each other. It's totally wrong. The second part of this I want you to see, and as we continue on this passage in verses 3 through 6, you're going to see spiritual discernment. God doesn't call us to have spiritual discrimination. He does call us to have spiritual discernment. That is the practice of self-examination. That is communion. That's what this is described as Is in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's what Paul says. You should examine yourself this morning. You're not looking at anybody else here. As we take communion in just a few moments, we should be looking and examining our spiritual life with the Father. And our spiritual life with each other. So this is about spiritual discernment, the practice of self-examination. Continue on in Luke chapter 18, verses 3, 13 through 14. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So, when we beat our own chest and think that we're better than everybody else, humility is going to come our way. But when we beat our chest and say we are sinners, but, and there but by the grace of God go we, we shall be exalted because God looks at our hearts. Look around the room for just a second. I'm gonna, just just one second. Just look around the room. Do you think you know who's going to heaven and who's not? We got no clue. Because though we may think we know everybody in the very depths of, of what their relationships and they show up all the time, that does not mean free pass into heaven. God is not looking at any of that. He's not looking at what we wear. He's not even looking at what you put in the plate. He's looking at your heart. If your heart was right, then everything else is going to take care of itself. But we look around at each other and go, well, Tim was a good preacher. I didn't know all that about him, though. Did you know all that about him? I don't even think he's going to get into heaven because of that. See, we have no idea. So we have to stop all of our personal expectations of thinking this, look at our own self and go, am I going to get there? Am I going to get there? Well, saved by grace, yes. If once, in, once, once saved, always saved. I believe that. Once you're in the hand of God and I've surrendered my life to Christ Jesus, I know I am in whatever you think. I'm in. Now I will tell you this. I got a lot of work to do. A ton more work to do. And my job is to do that between me and my father. And sometimes I will show my humanity in that. I will show you that I'm not perfect. And I will show you that I am a human being like everyone else with emotions and reactions and responses and sometimes not saying the right thing, sometimes not doing the right thing. But I am a work in progress just like you. And our job together, if we are truly the body of Christ, is to help each other do that. Hmm. There's a lot of church swapping that goes on today. Because there's sin in people's lives and they don't want anybody else to know about it. So it's better for them just to go from one place to the next without somebody really getting to know them. In church planning I had this happened one time to me. So this a family came. Church planning, if you're alive and you're breathing, And you come to the church and you're new, you immediately have a job. It really doesn't matter where where you are in your spiritual walk. If you're willing to be a part of something, in most cases, you can come right in and be uh, immensely, deeply involved in a matter of a few weeks just because you're looking for people to help get things going and get things started. This couple came in. He wanted to be involved in our worship team, all this kind of stuff. And he knew all his, his background was in all kinds of different things like that. And I was like, man, this is great. So they came for like three, four, five weeks in a row and he's wanting to be involved and coming to me. And then all of a sudden, about the sixth week, he says, I really need to talk to you after church. And I said, okay, that'd be great. When I I talked to him privately after church, he told me that he was on the sex offender registry. And he was with his wife. He said, it was something stupid. I didn't violate a woman in any way. It was something that I did you know, myself publicly that I'm ashamed of, blah, 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 all this stuff. Seemed very, very repentant. His wife was having an extremely hard time. But he had to, by law, let me know, right? So I, and he had done what he was supposed to do. And I, I told him, I said, look, I said, you know, this will slow down the process on some of this. But it does not negate the fact that, you know, um, we would still like to walk with you in your journey of restoration, never came back. They walked out of that room that Sunday and they never came back. He did exactly what he had to do. And I truly believe in my heart, standing before you today, that he was repentant. But his wife was ashamed. And her shame caused them to what? Leave. And to this day, I don't know if they're involved in church. To this day, I don't know what happened to them. Never, ever saw them again. Do you get what I'm talking about here? That is someone's personal expectation. Did someone break a a law? Yes. Where do they go to get fixed? Where do they go to be made whole? They're not going to be made whole out in the world. They're going to be made whole within the church. And if we can't help cautiously doing the right things with the checks and balances that we need to see somebody get back together with the Lord and grow back in their relationship, where else do they go? They're not going to get it from the world. This man's a tax collector. He's a social outcast. What do you think it's like for him to go out in public amongst his own people? He probably couldn't even go get something to eat. He couldn't go to the markets because everybody was probably going, what are you here for? Are you here to get food or are you here to collect my taxes? Matthew was a tax collector. One of the 12. In Jesus's inner circle. Yet this man right here was in a place of worship, beating his heart, repentant of what he had done and asking God to have mercy on him and make him whole. Yet spiritual discrimination would drive him out. Spiritual discernment is gonna figure out how in the world we can come alongside someone and help make them right and whole with the Lord without sacrificing everybody else, without putting everybody else in harm's way. But that's what God calls for us to do. That's what it tells us in verses 3 through 6. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? If we're doing self-examination, this is what we should be doing. But do not notice the log that's in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly. And take the, to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs. This is where the discernment comes in. Don't give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls or cast your pearls before swine. They will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. We cannot lower the bar. It's not our job to lower the bar to let somebody else in. There is no hell. Go live like you want to. On the flip side of that, go live like you want to and come to me and I'll absolve you of your sins and you can go on about that. That's not what this is about. It's about a personal relationship with Christ Jesus. It's about being on our knees. It's about being broken. It's about being repentant. It's about being prayed up. It's about being made up in our relationship with God. All great revivals started with people repenting of their sins. All those people that repented were not lost. The waves of revival that we've seen in our country and in European countries before us of our ancestors that came over here have been, and that we see all across the world now in other places great revivals taking place in Africa and on other continents is because people are getting on their knees. We're not repentant here. We're not repentant as a nation. We're not repentant as God's people. We want to see our nation come back to God. Then God's people have got to come back to God. Amen. Preach it, brother Tim. Isn't that right? God's people have got to come back to God before we're going to see a nation come back to God. Before we see this nation on our knees, we got to get on our knees. before we see our nation broken of its sins, we've got to break ourselves of our sin. So don't look around at everybody else. It ain't Trump's fault. It's not Obama's fault. It's not Bush one, two, three, four. Ever how many of them were president? It's not Clinton's fault, Reagan, whoever, Jimmy Carter. Go back as far as you want. It's not their fault that we are in the mess spiritually that we are in. It's our fault. It's totally our fault. Go back and look at the Old Testament. The Old Testament constantly, God was talking to his people and said, you need to be right with me and I will take care of the rest. He has just told us that same thing in chapter 6, did he not? Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And he goes straight from that into our personal conduct. And the first thing he says is, do not judge. Galatians 6 4 says this, but each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to one another. We went to, last story, and then we'll uh, have communion. We went to Place Delaney in a Christian school um, for, I guess it was pre K. And so for us to place Delaney in this particular Christian school for pre-K, we had to be examined ourselves. So they brought Tamara and I in and to meet with the headmaster of the school. And the headmaster of the school asked this simple question. His question was, if God was before you today and said, why should I let you into heaven, what response would you give? What response would we give as to why God should let us into heaven? My response was, He shouldn't let me into heaven. I'm a sinner saved by grace. It's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that I even get to enter into heaven. And the headmaster goes, "You're right." And I went, "Preacher, (laughs) seminary, like that." I want you to think about this for a second. How many of us actually sit down and start listing off the things that we've done for the church, though? Did you immediately start thinking about that? Did you immediately start thinking about, because I've been a believer since I was 16, that I taught Sunday school, and because I was a deacon at the church, because, because I let this family that was godless live in our house, and we, we shared the gospel with them, and they came to know Jesus. We, we start thinking about all the things we've done. But the truth is none of that, none of that gets us into heaven. None does. That's why we have to examine ourselves. Because I don't know where you think you are right now. But I'm imagining that most of us sitting here think are thinking that we've done enough. And until the Lord takes us home, we have not. And whatever that is, in whatever shape, form, or fashion that is, we got to get busy about making sure that we are in the right relationship with God and being the person that he calls us to be. Amen? (laughs) Revival begins with us. The move of God begins with each one of us individually. We want to see God move in our community collectively. He's got to move in our hearts first. As he moves in our hearts then the judgment falls away. We start looking at ourselves in reflection of nobody else and in comparison to nobody else, but in the standards of which God has called us to in his word and what Christ has done for us, then we got nowhere to look but up. Nowhere to look but up. Then we'll start to measure up. But as long as we're looking around, we're looking at the wrong standards. Amen. Let me pray for us. And as we pray, deacons are going to come forward up here up in front and we'll get prepared to to take communion. Heavenly Father, I just, uh, I come to you now and I just thank you for you. I thank you for the fact that you knew all long time ago Someone born, separated from you in a place outside of Athens needed you. And you did not give up on that young man. Wasn't raised by perfect parents. Did not live a perfect life. But still, you desired to have a relationship with him. And you chased He sent people into his life. When he didn't want to go to church, you had people there from school and other places that drew him back. When he went through the religious ritual of being baptized without a changed heart, you did not leave him alone. And on a day, on a retreat with a bunch of other friends from high school, in a place up in North Carolina you reached out and he surrendered and because of that I'm here today I thank you for all that I've been through Lord I do not want to go back and live any of it again but I'm so thankful that you brought me to this place at this time And Father, for everybody else in this room, I pray that that same love, that same relationship is the one that they have with you. Our desire is to be with you in heaven. but We are not finished here now. And Lord, we know that there are things in our life that we need to just clean out. So in this time of self-examination, this time of when we take communion, I pray that we will get our hearts right with you. Not worried about anybody else. Just us. Only people in the room right now are you and me. Bless us, Lord. Have mercy on us. These things we pray now in Christ's name. Amen.